tonight um, we're going to be continuing in our series that we've started last week for Lent called The Cost. And uh, tonight we're on a passage many of us are familiar with. When Jesus, uh, well, you can see it up there. Oh, is there, is there a title page? Yeah, True Bread from Heaven. We've heard this phrase before and we're kind of familiar with it, so it doesn't actually shock us as much. But um, this is kind of two parts within. Next week we're going to talk about the second half of John chapter 6, where because of this teaching, it says that many people turned and stopped following Jesus. What we're going to talk about tonight is a simple truth, but it's one that's very, very difficult to wrap our brains around. And it's one that's very, very difficult for us to live out every day. So if this is familiar to you, or if the application tonight seems a little bit, yes, I know that, um, I would trust you, or I would um, encourage you to, and to see what the Lord may have for you tonight. Uh, please join me in, in reading John chapter 6, verses 25 to 40, either on the screen or in the Bible in front of you, whichever you prefer. John chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is not on him, or excuse me, for it is on him that the God that God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This indeed, this is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This too is the word of the Lord. So what is the bread that comes from heaven? As you, as you gathered from the first couple of verses, uh, this happens after Jesus feeds the, feeds the 5,000, the beginning of John chapter 6. He's just fed and done this great miracle, and on top of that miracle, his disciples witnessed him the night before walking on water. And they're wondering, what's going on here? And so the next day in verse 25, these people have been looking for Jesus. They witnessed a great miracle. They saw him multiply the bread and the fish, and they said, who is this guy? We need to find out. It's no different than many of us. When we first heard about Jesus, when we first encountered Jesus, when we first felt Jesus, we said, 
What's the story here? How do I find out more about him? Maybe you felt something in your heart. For me, I remember the first time I saw Jesus, it was in people. I saw Jesus in people and I thought, what is it that they have? What's so, what's so powerful about that? For you, it may have been a miracle. For you, it may have been something simple like growing up in church and knowing he was always there. Whatever it was, when we experience or see Jesus for the first time, he draws us in, doesn't he? And he makes us wonder, what more is there? Who are you? And that's exactly what's happening. These people were coming to test him and to say, who is this guy who just did this great miracle? And like Jesus does, and like I've brought up the recent weeks, Jesus doesn't waste time. Jesus gets really serious really quick. If you're familiar with the English phrase, he draws a line in the sand. And he said, listen, I need to tell you something, that this, this is what it is and how it should be. Jesus gets really deep, really fast in this passage. But I want to point something out that we'll see as we keep going is that when Jesus says a hard truth, he usually, for those who believe and those who stay with him, also gives great comfort to his people. And if we trust the hard teachings of Jesus, I believe he will be quick to comfort us. That even though he may ask us to do difficult things, even though he may call us to something that we don't think we can bear, I believe Jesus is quick to comfort us and reassure us as his sheep, as he is our good shepherd. And so in this way, we have all gone to Jesus with some sort of motivation trying to figure him out, to see if we can trust him. Some of us have already made that decision and some of us are still wondering, is this a decision I really want to make? And whether you are seeking the truth or a committed lifelong disciple of Jesus Christ, his comment to these people should go right to all of our hearts. It is a tough teaching. He says in verse 27, he says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures, for eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but this is all we work for. We, the only thing we work for is to get food, is to survive, is to put food on our table. Why would Jesus say something like this? This is exactly why we work. But Jesus, you know, being Jesus and the Son of God, knew what they were doing. He knew what their intentions were. And he says, listen, you people are coming to me for what you can get from me. You saw a great miracle and now you want another one. You saw a great sign and it may not be bread you want. You may have had your fill yesterday, but you're going to want something else from me. These people were coming to Jesus just to cash in, to see what they could get, to see how Jesus might benefit their life, to see what they could take from Jesus. And so Jesus says to them, hey, you know what? Don't worry about bread. Don't work for bread. Don't, don't strive after these things. He says, instead, think about the Son of Man, for it is on Him that God the Father has set His seal. You know, what's hard for me as I read this passage, I was thinking about it, and I think, oh man, what selfish people just going to Jesus to get things from Him. And then I immediately begin to feel a little bit of conviction building inside of me. I immediately wonder, is this me? How often have I gone to church wanting to get something out of it to make me feel better? How often have I, have I gone to prayer when I'm at my most dire need just simply to feel better? And that's not inherently a bad thing. But when I read this passage, I'm convicted as well. 
How often do I just save Christ in the background for when I need something, for when I'm at my worst? When life's good, hey, look at all the things I've done. Look at how successful I am. Look at all of these wonderful things I've made. Look at all of this bread I've collected. It's human nature. We're takers. Human beings, we do this professionally. We just take. And if someone will give it to us, we take it. You know, many of us learn this in, 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 in work, in our first job we may ever have had. If we volunteer to do something, someone will give it to us. If we ask to, to have more responsibility, oftentimes people will give it to us. We may not make any more money, but people will give it to us. Human beings are takers. I, I spoke this weekend, I was at the Nexus Ski Retreat, the Young Adult Ski Retreat in Davos, and it was wonderful. And there's a great guy, some of you may know him, he's an earth scientist. Um, and, and we were talking about this, and we were talking about this very idea that human beings are takers, that if we're given the opportunity, we'll just take and be selfish. And as an earth scientist, he said, we don't need to look any further than the state of the earth to prove that theory. That human beings will take, and we will take, and we will take, and we will take as long as we possibly can. And sadly, we apply the same logic to how we see God. We go to him when we're at our worst. We go to prayer when we need a genie, when we have no other option. And that's kind of what these people were doing. The Jews were like, hey, you did a great sign. What else can you do for me? What more can you give me? And I'm going to go on a slight rant here, but the church, and some of you know this, that I'm not always the biggest fan of the church, that I can be rather critical of the church, but that's the reason I work in the church, is because the church has given in to this mentality, much more so in the West than in other places of the world, but we see these things, you may have heard of it, called a seeker-friendly church, a church that caters to people's needs and their wants, a church that goes into debt trying to get the latest and greatest to bring people so that they can have exactly what they want at church. Churches spend millions on sound and production to attract the coolest, hippest people so that they will attend their church. And before some of you think that I'm a you know, hypocrite or something, it's not inherently bad. I'm not against those churches. In fact, those churches do phenomenal things for the kingdom and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is the motivation in what we do? What is the motivation in the church, in the body of Christ, and, and, and what we're trying to do? Is it people? Is it truth? Or is it just to take from God? Are we interested in the souls of human beings, that they would know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Father who sent him? There's a church in Colorado um, that displayed this really well, and I've always thought about this when I think about the church and, and what we're doing and it was an old dying church that had this beautiful building, kind of like this. But it was this old, old church, and it was too small to be self-sustaining. And, and it was filled with maybe just 40 or 50 people left. And, and they were wondering what to do. How do we go about it? How do we grow the church? And they were trying, and they were trying to attract young families, and they were trying to, you know, get people here. How do we attract people? And down the road, there was a church that was developing uh, primarily of addicts. Alcohol, drugs, whatever. And, and, and these guys were doing ministries with, with these addicts, and, and, and they went from a small group to a big group to, to kind of a, a church, and, and they didn't have a place to meet. And on top of it, they didn't have money to have a place to meet. And so this old church, instead of trying to be the latest and the greatest, did a wonderful thing. They just said, here, you can have our building. And they gifted it to them. 
And not only did they gift them the church, but then they joined the new church and became mentors and disciples for these young new believers. And I remember talking to the pastor about it with tears in his eyes, and he said, I've never seen people so gracious and that cared so much just about truth and the love of Jesus rather than what they could get from other people. Too often, I think, the church struggles to focus on the truth of God and they focus on, on, on what they can get. Or we as people focus on what we can get from God. So, some of these churches aren't bad. It's not my style, but, but seeker-friendly is not all bad. But I believe it's incomplete. I believe one of the things Jesus is getting at here with these people when they come to him saying, hey, what can we get from you? Show us a sign. Moses gave manna from heaven. What can you do? You know? I believe some of these people here, Jesus is, is pulling a truth out that says, hey, listen, what you need is truth, not manna from heaven. And as we see in this passage, Jesus drew them in with bread. He drew them in with something neat and something enticing, but then he gave them truth. And look at how, look at how he did it. Go, go through this passage with me. In verse 28, you know, they said to him, okay, so hey, what do we do? How do we perform the works of God? And in verse 29, he tells us something we all know. He says that, hey, we need to believe. We need to believe in the God that sent him. And so the people say, okay, we will believe in you, but first what? Prove it. You say you're sent from God. Do a sign. Give us a sign. Give us something amazing. Give us something awesome. And, Jesus, and they say, you know, because our father Moses, he had a sign. You know, our, this Moses guy, he was great. He brought down manna from heaven. So you need to prove it, Jesus, and then we'll follow you. And Jesus says, hey, I hate to break it to you guys. In verse 32, um, that wasn't Moses. <laughs> Moses didn't give you manna from heaven. God did. And the same God who gave your fathers manna from heaven is the same God who sent me to bring you truth and repentance. It wasn't Moses. And then in verse 33, he, he says, it's not even me. It's all from God. The bread and the fish miracle you witnessed yesterday, that was God, that wasn't me. That was God doing something to draw you in. That was God doing a sign to draw you in. And then in verse 34 to 40, specifically verse 36, it's a hard teaching. They say, hey, we want this. We want this bread. How do, how do we get it? And he said to them, listen, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So instead of working hard to attain the things we think we need, he's saying we go to him. We go to him to get all that we need. But in verse 36, he says, but some of you have already seen this and you still don't believe, so what more can I do? Some of you in this room have seen the great things of God. You know that God is real, but yet you still struggle to believe. What more can Jesus do for you? He's already died. He's already given his very life for you. What more can he do? I want to point something out that gives me great comfort. In verse 37, he says, Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And anyone who comes to me, anyone, not, not the people who have it together, not the people who figure it out first, not the people who have their life in order and who have said the right prayers and who dress the right way and have done the right things. He says, Anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. 
Why should we trust Jesus? Why should we trust that he is the very bread of life? Because he will never leave us. Many of us have been disappointed with family and friends and relationships. Many of us, when we look at our parents or we look at our grandparents or we look at our family, we think, some of us are great and have wonderful families, but even those of us with wonderful families know that we get let down by the people we love the most. The people we love the most in this world are not perfect. Only Christ is. And the reason we trust him and the reason we seek him for all that we need is because he will not leave us. We're very fortunate in Switzerland. We are all very wealthy and successful and intelligent and and, and have all we need by the world standards. But the wealth of this world will leave. The resources we rely on will dry up. The beautiful mountains we hike and ski on will one day crumble into nothing. But Jesus will never leave. Jesus will always be there. So then the question becomes, really, how? How do we come to this Jesus? How do we know this Jesus? And what he says here is, listen, if you come to me with a desire for truth and in humility, I will never leave you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have the perfect life. In fact, I prefer if you don't. If we come to Jesus with humility and truth, Jesus is there for us. You know, Luke 9 is a really, at the end of Luke chapter 9, I encourage you to look it up. Um, I don't want to get too diverted. Luke, the end of Luke chapter 9 is a great passage where Jesus, these people come to Jesus and they want to follow him. And they have all their stipulations and their rules, you know. And Jesus says, hey, you know, just so you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you're willing to follow me, you've got to trust me for everything. And then another guy says, hey, I want to follow you, but first I have to go and bury my father. And Jesus says, no, don't worry about that. Let the dead bury their own dead. You need to follow me if you want to follow me. And then finally a guy says to him, yes, that's fine, but let me first go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We don't go to Jesus for comfort. We don't go to Jesus to feel better. We go to Jesus to trust him with our entire lives. It's not about, you know, Jesus is going to make you happy and Jesus is going to make you rich and comfortable. It's about Jesus is going to be the only thing that sustains you for now and eternity. Money or not, belief is what matters most. Belief is what leads us to him. And when we come to him with humility, we find truth. We are all given a chance to believe, but it costs a lot of our desires and our plans You know, like I said, I was talking with the Nexus group this weekend, and this came up. We were talking about the idea of peace. And this was a huge topic. How do we achieve peace? You know, really, the idea behind it is the same as this. It's we go to Jesus first for all we need. We don't rely on our own ability and our own strength. This affects our prayer life, our relationships, our service, our free time. And when we do this, and when we go to Jesus in humility, when we go to him for all we need, we begin to see the world through the lens of God. Not our constant desire for bread, and that we need more, and that we need to take more. But we learn that God is the only thing that can make us complete. We learn that God is the only thing that will always be there for us. We learn that eternal life is our inheritance as children of God. How beautiful is verse 37. 
Anyone who comes to me, I will never drive you away. I will never cast you out, it says in the ESV. He will not leave you. If you come to Jesus Christ for truth, he will not leave you. It's hard. But our reward is eternal. And so let me just say this, and I'm going to repeat it, and it's a simple truth, but it is so vital that we all know this. If you are brand new to the whole Jesus thing, he will not leave you. The world will hurt you, the world will take advantage of you, other people will take from you, but Jesus will not leave you. And if you've been a Christian a really long time, let it be a reminder that nourishes you to continue, to keep serving, to keep working. He will not leave you. No matter what you do, he will not leave you if you go to him in humility and truth, seeking the bread of life that sustains you. He will not leave you. If you lose your job, he won't leave you. If you can't pay the bills, he won't leave you. And if you get a huge surplus of resources, he'll be there too. He will never leave you. He is the only thing we have to rely on on this earth. And that, and that is worthy of worship and singing praise songs to him. So please pray with me. Lord, thank you. Oh man, you are so good. Many of us know in this room, Lord, what it feels like to have lost. Lord, many of us know what it feels like to have people hurt and leave us. Lord, you will not. You are the source of our bread and our water. You are the strength of all that we have and all that we are. Lord, I pray whether we have much or little, we would praise you. I pray that we would rejoice with those who are rejoicing and that we would mourn with those who are mourning because you are everything we have. Lord, thank you for your faith. Thank you for your faith in us. Thank you for your forgiveness in us that we can continually come to you over and over and you will give us your truth and you will give us your love. Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever. For that we give you thanks. For that we meditate on your love and we sing praises to you. Amen.